yeah, so then I kind of just started doing it and uh, still doing it. That's cool. It's rewarding. A lot of things happened during this pandemic. A lot of life changes. <laughs> <laughs> like you being in Brazil for three months longer. Oh. And my, my project also was born there, kind of. So. And? Yeah. Oh, okay. During this pandemic. Uh, well. Okay, I was going to ask you anyway, like I kind of wanted to have this as a fairly early question, how you started this, because maybe for context, uh, Bianca and I know each other from working in Aaron Sugar's lab. I did my master's and Bianca did or is still doing her PhD. But I don't remember you ever talking about blockchain or peer review or wanting to create a new system <laughs> or something like that. So I actually was quite curious when did when did this happen it's somehow the last like we haven't really talked for three years or something and yeah it's it's very new actually in the sense that uh i've done peer reviews during my phd probably not when we crossed paths in the lab but after um i was invited uh, to do peer reviews so i kind of had the experience as a reviewer before having the experience of publishing papers as a phd student <laughs> yeah so I kind of know the system, but then um, in the, I would say about one year and a half ago, I started getting a lot more interested in uh, meta science. Um, so all this domain that concerns uh, how to do science and, you know, um, open access, open science and everything related from even just statistics and uh, uh, how to communicate science and and so on and and then i i still i remember that uh, in this period i was really like uh, uh pretty much involved into reading literature reviews about uh, these topics and somehow also about peer reviewing and how to improve uh, systems in academia uh, writing papers and doing reviews. So reviews about how to do a good review <laughs> of papers. And and I had these ideas that were, you know, buzzing in my head, like how re a review system, a peer review system could be better. And, and somehow it happened that at the same time, I was also, uh, I also started... Um, um, watching a lot of videos by Three Blue One Brown. I don't know if you know him. Is uh, uh, I think most people. Most people. What well, some people? Don't oh, know. not actually. Yeah. No, I. I, th I feel like I've introduced. I, I tried to introduce most of the people I know to him, and most people say like, "Oh, whatever, maths, I don't care." And then half a year later, they'll watch the videos and go, "By the way, have you seen these videos with Three Blue One Brown? They're really great. <laughs> They're really like, great. Yeah, exactly. I told you." <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So in the same. Oh, period, so then you saw yeah. his like how does Bitcoin work that kind of stuff. Exactly. Or? So that was the mm. thing that uh, you know started uh, sparking my sparking my interest uh, on uh, distributed ledger ledger technology and blockchain. And this was the first time in which I made the connection between peer reviews and blockchain. But I I was totally disconnected from the blockchain community. I didn't know how to do it. Like, uh, how can I get my idea into something more? And so I just let it rest. And and then COVID came. <laughs> and I had uh, extra time 
to get bored. And getting bored is not something bad because, you know, the ancient Romans had a word for it, like otium. It's like the time you spend studying, not working, which is negotium. So I had extra time for this otium, for this laziness. Um, And then I randomly found out about a hackathon that was going to be held in my hometown, Turin, in Italy that concerned um, basically, you know, hackathons are these very short-term competitions in which can last even just a few days. And, and you go there with an idea and you try to develop it. And this hackathon was very specific for um, blockchain called Ethereum, which is the, probably the second most uh, known blockchain. Um, because it was born after Bitcoin. And and it was really interesting because the purpose of the hackathon was to develop design and develop projects with a local impact. So a totally different angle from what I, I had absorbed before about blockchain, which I always related to cryptocurrency. And so, you know, speculation and like... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I I kind of uh, I convinced myself to participate to this competition, although I was the only not developer there probably, <laughs> and <laughs> I was the only PhD student for sure, the only person from an academic background, not from a software engineering background, and also almost totally naive about blockchain and. Actually, probably also the only woman <laughs> in the competition. And to prepare myself for the hackathon, I started uh, studying. You know. So just be- before that, did you? H- how did you take part in this? If you like, I mean, so you were later part of a team, right? But like, did you sign up as a team, or did you? Did do, do people just go and then figure out a project, or like? Yeah. Yeah, so basically, um, I don't know about uh, other teams. Maybe some people already knew each other. In my case, I I signed up alone uh, as a designer, let's say. And, and pretty much in this kind of hackathons, but also in general for what it concerns, this uh, tech environment that is related to startups, it's always good... Uh, balance for the organizers to have people that are more into the design part and others that are more on the developing part. So it was kind of expected that some people would be, you know, uh, in charge of one side. And, and the idea was actually to meet new people there and form groups there. The only thing that is that originally we were supposed to be in Turin and physically meet with other people. But then this couldn't happen because of the pandemic. So the whole thing became online. And I basically had a few weeks before the hackathon in which I kind of developed the main concept of my project. And we had three days of hackathon. So basically in one day I had to figure out who's going to be my partner, <laughs> who's going to help me in this and so I started uh, hunting for developers, and 
I found uh, someone who really matched uh, with me in the sense that uh, was really into this idea and also had experience in uh, developing some of its core aspects, uh, Nazareno. And so we decided uh, to, to make a proof of concept together. And in just a few days, we developed a fr- proof of concept and we wrote a first paper, let's say. So this was pretty amazing, like uh, literally two days of no sleep because uh, at the time I was in Brazil. I, I was stuck in Brazil and he was in London. So imagine we had to coordinate with this five hours of time difference. And yeah, and then turns out that, uh, well, we did a pretty good job. Uh, we were really proud of ourselves for doing such a thing in 48 hours, basically. And, and at the end, we won the hackathon. We won the first place and the first prize. So we got super excited and we said, let's go on, let's continue this project. So that's kind of how it developed. And so in the next months, we kept in touch and we continued uh, working on aspects that were both communication, uh, building community, but also we decided to present a more formal academic paper uh, so we started writing it, and, and at the same time, uh, we also decided to apply for uh, another program, um, a fellowship uh, that was the first uh, program for Web3 uh, designers and developers, um, sponsored and funded by Gitcoin and Consensus, which are two main companies in the blockchain uh, domain kind of like the Google of, you know, blockchain. And our project uh, got accepted and us as a team. So we had uh, two months in which we uh, were incubated in this uh, Web3 group of uh, 150 people. So what is Web3? Okay, yeah. So basically, um, the internet that we have uh, now is called Web2 which follows the web one, which was the first internet. So the first internet was completely open to everyone, in a sense. It was not centralized. And then after mid-2000, with the rise of the big tech companies uh, like Google, Facebook, basically the internet became centralized and those aggregators make money on people's usage of the internet. So basically, the users became the products, and the the Web three is the is the future web that people are in the blockchain are trying to to develop. And the idea is that it's decentralized internet, so it's not owned owned by specific uh, companies, and the power is distributed among the users. So the users have, again, power on on the content. So if you upload something, it belongs to you. Your data doesn't go to a third party. And so this is still, yeah, in development. That's what people are trying to to build. Um, Yeah, I mean, there is something already existing, um, but it's not widely used because 
you still need to interact uh, with this. Uh, th there is, for example, IPFS, Interplanetary File System, uh, that has this decentralized storage of data. And the cool thing is that uh, what you put on it has uh, is assigned a cryptographic hash. So basically, it's like um, a fingerprint, we can say, of this specific uh, file that uh, universally identifies it and, and the file cannot be withdrawn. So everything that is in, on the blockchain stays forever on the blockchain. You can't removed it so it's a uh, censorship resistant we would say things like you know has happened recently with facebook twitter uh you know banning accounts wouldn't be possible yeah so where we where, where were you going before i interrupted you yeah no i was just saying that we were uh, accepted into this program and there we had really a lot of mentorship from people that are really in the blockchain domain and they were even the co-founders of ethereum and you know people who work in these different companies and so we had a lot of um, valuable exchanges also with uh, with peers or the other fellows that uh, were building startups in the blockchain system um of course Ant's review, this project is a bit special because it's something like meant to bridge the academia universe of people who mostly don't use, you know, crypto or blockchain yeah. to a universe that is for now mostly related to people in business or um, in software development. Okay, um, shall we maybe... Um, I realized I haven't really structured this particularly well in terms of like introducing ants and all this kind of stuff. Uh, maybe shall we kind of from the ground up motivate what you're doing here? Uh, because I guess we haven't really introduced what ants is, why it's necessary, and what problem it solves. Um, so maybe, yeah, what's wrong with peer review? <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> uh, you've got five minutes. <laughs> we okay, have to limit this. Okay. Well, um, of course, I had uh, my personal experience, and but then I started reading about it, and I discovered a lot of uh, meta science about peer reviews, and a lot of comments uh, by other researchers, all converging to some core ideas about why peer review is not like uh, the most perfect system right now in the sense that uh, it's kind of biased, especially because uh, the most common system for doing peer review is the single blind review process. So what happens is that uh, when you get your paper reviewed, you don't know who the reviewer is, but the reviewer know who you are. And as simply as that, even the most professional reviewer could just, you know, read information about you and get biased about I don't know previous pub publications or your laboratory, and yeah, just the institution, right? That's enough. The institution, yeah. This is a lot of um, weight, um, and and indeed there has been research proving that when you introduce a double-blind system, you really get those biased biases reduced. 
Um, so it's much better for uh, minorities in science, uh, let's say women and uh, other uh, researchers from, uh, let's say, not West, Western Europe or America. Um, yeah, but of course, the most, uh, I think the most uh, evident problem of peer review is just that it's too slow and people are not committed into reviewing papers for free. So I really got this feeling that when people are asked uh, to review, they they just do it because, I don't know, they know the editor, the editor knows them, they're afraid of, you know, saying no. But actually, you know, I have my own research to do. I don't want to waste my time <laughs> doing research for someone else and not getting any credit for it. Uh, and indeed, it's pretty. I, I found it pretty bad that, for example, when a paper is published, uh, sometimes you, the reviewers are not even acknowledged, not even the an anonymously. You know, it's just like okay, the final product is there. This is the paper of the authors, but actually, there there were people who gave extensive comments, and sometimes they might even have structurally changed the paper proposing new analysis and so on or new literature i mean yeah even in my limited experience with peer review i mean so i haven't like been asked myself but sometimes you know my supervisor will get something and then we'll kind of help out get to learn this is like how it works a bit right and also give some comments and i mean sometimes it's crazy how much you at least we think improve a paper i don't know maybe the authors are just annoyed by our stupid comments but um, I mean, sometimes you have a paper that's just that really needs to be improved. Like it's just there's some glaring problems with it. And yeah, you're right. Like all you get is you can say you can put on your CV like you reviewed for this journal, even though basically, especially if it's like if it's like a registered report, right, where they haven't collected data yet. I feel like sometimes like I can't have done much less work than some of the co-authors. Like in terms of like how much we improved this paper like <laughs> yeah but you get absolutely nothing for it other than like maybe the hope of some karma or something <laughs> like <laughs> someone will do this to you right but yeah, that's exactly. all you, you get it's just a service to to the community which is okay but on the other side uh, other scientific outputs are really overvalued like uh, even just publishing a paper itself over, I don't know, writing codes, so software. Yeah. And But if you think software development is just a, a core aspect of doing research, at least in, depends on the field, of course, but uh, for example, in my field, you really need to program everything from the stimuli to the analysis. So just crazy that at the end what counts is just uh, the story that you build upon all these efforts right um and and yeah so i thought we're still uh talking about what's the things that are wrong in peer review so these the biases the lack of incentives um and probably so that's maybe just my personal idea although i had the chance to you know, check with other researchers, but 
I, I have this strong conviction that uh, it's the lack of incentives that makes the process slow and makes it also so hard to find reviewers. And also the fact that uh, the selection process of reviewers is kind of like top-down. So it's the journal who who has to look for people who are, you know, experts in this field. So this is already extra time. Well, if you had like a community-driven, you know, approach in which people just see the papers and they decide, oh, this is my field, my domain, uh, maybe I'm interested in, you know, I I might review it. And and it's kind of what happens with the preprint servers. Like you, you already see the paper and people leave comments, uh, tweet about it. Uh, the problem is that this has not the same value as something that goes through the journal system. So... I was wondering, we were wondering if it would be possible to create a system that basically doesn't let this value get dispersed, but, uh, you know, can extract it and channel it in a way that it's also not just authors can benefit from from it, but also the reviewers themselves and create a sort of virtuous uh, circle, a gamified system in which everyone you know, is uh, motivated to do what they are right now naturally supposed to do. And and at the same time, uh, right, because they are incentivized, they would do it, you know, for, for the best outcome that is also in a certain way uh, through a good behavior. So without cheating, without trying to, you know, to get shortcuts, because... Uh, it's very rare, but it's still a feeling that um, both authors and reviewers have displayed um, like uh, misbehavior in the field. So, like authors might try to to get the review passed by you know falsifying data uh, results, or that there have been even cases of authors that were the reviewers themselves, <laughs> like. <laughs> They, oh wait, I heard yeah, I heard of some cases, yeah. Uh but mostly of course the cases what we we hear in pop uh, science culture, you know, that there is this terrible reviewer too that is just gonna destroy your paper, make you feel really bad about your work and you have to redo your paper all over again <laughs> thousands of times. Yeah, what I what I find re- yeah, the quality of peer review is something that, in my still limited experience, I've also found really weird. I mean, there was, you know, some paper where it wasn't like we reviewed it, it wasn't a bad paper, but it um, clearly some stuff needed to be changed. It's fairly obvious, not in terms of like we they should do an experiment or anything like that, but just like what they presented, some of that had to be changed. And... You know, again, it's not a bad paper, and I, I think we probably suggested that it should be accepted or something. But like, you know, you have to make like some, f- not big changes, but like s- some of the interpretation was just way out of line. Yeah, just a few things that were really weren't that great. And then, you know, we see like I think we we might have been reviewer two, uh, but then like reviewer one or something just wrote like this looks great. I look forward to this being published or something. It's like 
did you even read the paper? <laughs> like, like, this is not great. <laughs> like, it's objectively not great. How can you? And this has happened a few times now that I've seen it that if you have two or three reviewers, there's often one reviewer who seems to have barely read the paper at all mm-hmm. and just writes something like, oh, yeah, this is okay. And then it's like, come on, man, I put like five hours into this and found like so many problems that they can fix and that improves the paper. And then other people just seem to just say, yep, looks good. Yeah, that's that's <sighs> why we were also thinking maybe uh, there should be a system that also review the reviewers, you know, it's the this problem of, of who watch who watches the watchers. If it was on a community bases and publicly accessible to all researchers imagine you would have the papers the reviewers uh the views and and people could just you know decide where to jump in and and of course on the incentivization side this would be solved but then how do you protect from you know uh, other kind of behaviors like uh, people who try to cheat to get uh, things published faster or in the way they want. So that's where the idea of privacy comes. And so we would like to have a system that is at the same time, you know, double blind, but you, uh, everyone's identity is. Um, you know, accountable. So everyone is accountable in the system. So it's not a, it's anonymous, but not in a way that you can't really uh, like uh, track down who was the author of uh, this review or not. You know. Yeah. Um, I have a few points or questions about anonymity. Uh, should we talk about that in a second? Um, about. Uh, anonymity. About anonymity the, so okay. I have a few. Yeah, I just have a few questions there. Um, shall we just pause that for a second, and we'll get there in like a few minutes. I'd like to just go over some of the like basics. Actually, one thing that you said about reviewing the reviewers. So I like the idea of that, and in some cases, I think that's fairly easy to do. Like you know, if someone says like look here are all these flaws and the obvious flaws and another reviewer just doesn't see them and just says looks good then it's very easy to say look this person didn't pay attention or whatever like it seems to me like the if someone just you know if you have a review that's two two sentences long it's very easy to show that that's not a good review in most cases but i'm just curious do you think people are actually going to review the reviewers because i feel like it's just like that's just going to add more time and effort for everyone right um i don't know when i read that i thought like it's a nice idea i just can't see anyone wanting to do it unless that is also incentivized yeah so Um, it is also incentivized so the idea would be that uh, anyway all these transactions happen in um in this platform that is called ant review and which is both a bounty and uh, a pool for uh, tokens. What does that mean? Um, so just to explain, um, so a bounty is a it's a very common system uh, for uh, software developers. Basically, it's like a price that uh, companies can give to solve a specific issue, a bug, 
or or even something bigger in a, in a program or in a system. So basically, the idea is that when an author uploads uh, the paper, uh, he can set up uh, a reward, right, which has a price in the in the native uh, token of uh, Ant Review. The idea is that though this uh, this value, this monetary reward, is hidden. Uh, such that people are not incentivized to do this specific review or another one just because of the of the money. So you don't say like I'm gonna do this review and then get that amount of tokens or whatever. You you're just gonna do the review because you know this is your field, uh, this is your you know field of expertise of competence. Uh, you don't know how much you're gonna get. The idea is that the reward it's both monetary and reputation so this is something we still have to work on so we haven't implemented yet it's still on design uh, right now we only have implemented in a minimum viable product uh, this token ants that you can withdraw when once the peer review is accepted uh, by by the community let's say but basically everyone also the validators of the peer reviews can have this reward for doing mm-hmm. because anyway each transaction is gonna cost some gas and and then you can have some some reward for what you what you do in the system. Besides that we also introduced this idea of a pool in the sense that uh, basically the community could be the one that provides let's say the money. And in a, in a sense, it's like a sort of exchange, right? You have this, uh, this token that are uh, staken, uh, stake, uh, take, uh, sorry, uh, um, these tokens that are put on stake and, and then can be used. And the more you keep these tokens, the, the more the value increases over time. So basically, it accrues interest. So this is one of ideas that we thought about. And in this way, it's kind of like it's going to be everyone's turn at some point to have the paper review, to do re-review or the review of the review. So everyone gets something. Of course, uh, you cannot imagine to have like 1,000 people doing a review. So what's going to happen yeah. is uh, it's that uh, basically the, the reward is going to be given to the best reviews. And and for this, we were imagining something like a voting system, an up-down voting system in which people will evaluate, okay, this is for me the best review. And if they, let's say, they voted the best one, then they're also going to have some incentives, incentives from it so they can take shares from from the reward of the review. Okay, so I have a few questions about tokens also. So one thing that wasn't quite clear to me is, so let's say I, I write a review um, and let's say it's very good and I get the reward for it. What tokens do I get? It, it wasn't clear to me, do I get ants, like your own tokens, or do I get ETH? What exactly do I get here? Yeah, so this is something still in development. For now, we only have ants. Because we, our platform is still on testnet, we, 
we don't have it on the main uh, on chain let's say but the idea is that this uh, token is kind of like we're gonna have a token that is for the reputation which could be ants and then we could have a monetary reward in a regular cryptocurrency for example ether or DAI or whatsoever we we haven't clarified yet uh, in the sense that we haven't really implemented but uh, this is one option uh, otherwise another option would be that ants itself becomes a token that is exchangeable with other cryptocurrency yeah that was going to be like this i mean the, the reason i asked this question is also is whether this is supposed to be a system that's contained in itself in terms of there's a certain amount of um you know you can you can review stuff and then you get these tokens and then you can use it so people review your stuff um and but it all stays within the system or whether this is supposed to be something that you know yeah relates to a regular cryptocurrency like ethereum or something like that yeah no we weren't thinking of something totally closed so in a way we're thinking of some of a system that is actually open to to other cryptocurrencies but who knows maybe to fiat currencies um the idea would be that uh, AntsReview is a modular platform so we were also thinking about uh, the platform being a sort of integration to other possible applications for example uh, could be also like uh, something that integrates already existing journals uh, without having its own open access journals uh, we're also considering having an open access journal for that but uh, for now we are you know just keeping to the peer review but yeah basically it could be something very valuable for this uh, basically this process that is before the final acceptance of a paper in in a journal uh, so it could really integrate well with the preprint services and this preview that can happen in between which is now called pre-review so basically a review that is you know decoupled from the classical journal systems so it doesn't really happen in the process of uh, submission of the paper but it happens before and it's transferable and mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i mean one reason i was also asking about whether this is a closed system or can relate to other cryptocurrencies or non-cryptocurrencies um is so one thing that and maybe I'm just misunderstanding something here, but one problem I saw is that I felt like if not done very carefully, this, let's say like in, in a few years, like the system is accepted and um, everyone's using it, let's say. It seemed to me like it might very likely increase inequality in the system, in the scientific system, because you could have rich labs from, you know, that are well-funded that could then, you know, put very high incentives mm. on their reviews. So then everyone wants to review those papers because if you manage to get one, you get more money. Yeah. Which then means that kind of own, like the rich labs get the good peer review mm -hmm. and the, the poor labs get not necessarily bad peer review, but not quite as many people are trying to really put the best effort into it. And also then in addition to that, you also have the thing that if you can just if you can buy whatever token 
you use that you give as a bounty for reviewing your paper. If you're rich, you might never have an incentive to actually write a peer review because you can just buy them from your lab funds, whereas other labs might have to do lots of peer review before they can actually, before they have enough tokens that they can have one of their own papers peer reviewed. Hmm. So um, this thing connects kind of to what I uh, briefly mentioned before to the privacy. So basically, that's why we want to have not only the identities of the agents in the system, but also the transactions private. In order to do that, uh, we would like to introduce a cryptographic uh, method that is called zero-knowledge proof, which is basically um, a method that uh, guarantees you the validity of a statement uh, without actually revealing what the statement is about. So basically, uh, if you have the, the classic example of Alice and Bob, of the author and the peer review, you get uh, the peer review uh, uploaded and and also the, let's say, the monetary value of it. And, and the only thing that uh, the, the receiver will know from, from the sender is that, okay, this is this has the, a specific value, but you don't know how much. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's kind of like a sort of permutation. It, this uh, cryptographic system works with a, a permutation algorithm that uh, basically uh, it's secure in terms of, let's say, A is A, but uh, the people don't know that this is about A and not B. They just know the identity of two items, let's say. And this is already implemented by some companies. And, and basically the idea is that uh, the, the tokens would be wrapped with this uh, zero-knowledge proof. So instead of ants, you would have decay ants. So the only thing you know is that you're going to get something, but you don't know how much. But why would I do it if I don't know how much I'm going to get? If I, let's say there's like this paper that, I mean, of course I want to give back to the community. And so, you know, sometimes you also like, uh, some reviews that here we've gotten that we've done have been because we thought the paper looked interesting, right? Like that's definitely the case. But it seems to me if, if, if a large bonus of answer review is that it's incentivized, I'd like to know how much I'm going to get because I don't want to put all this effort and then get like, you know, 10 cents or something. Yeah, but uh, that's that's where the community comes in, in the sense that anyway, the reward is going to be proportional to your efforts, right? So the more efforts you do, uh, the better the quality of your review, uh, the more uh, your reputation is going to be uh, on stake and also the reward. There is an initial, there is an initial, let's say, bounty that is associated to the review. But in a sense, people are also gonna bet on the on the quality of the review. So this is also gonna increase the value. I see. So the so you get okay. Yeah. You have like these validators of the reviews themselves, of the peer reviews, that are gonna say, "Oh, I think this one is really good. I want to, you know, put my tokens there." And okay, I see. So uh, yeah, the the initial bounty you get or might get is only part of 
the compensation you get yeah. for doing the room. Okay, then this leads to the next problem. Okay, so, <laughs> so many problems. Uh, <laughs> I thought I proposed yeah, a no. solution. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, this is also... Um, uh, maybe it is right like maybe you have it's just like so this is actually something that my father said i, I briefly mentioned i was going to do Your this father, interview and okay. like, yeah what this was about so he used to work as a software developer and he said that uh i mean this isn't like a blockchain problem or anything but he said basically they used to have this like system at the company he worked for where they had this like online forum where people could you know write posts and questions and it was kind of i guess like an internal stack overflow or something like that mm -hmm. i don't know um something along those lines and what he said was that they stopped it pretty quickly because they he worked for a very big company a very, very big company and they ended up with these like circles of people who just ended up upvoting each other's comments so someone would just like write i agree and would get like four thousand upvotes or something mm -hmm. and then it looked like this person had made a great comment even though they hadn't said anything. So then this leads to the kind of question of if your reputation depends on how many people upvote you, how can you... It seems like this system could fairly easily be abused, right? I mean, I guess you say, okay, it might be anonymous, right? So therefore it's hard to know. But I don't know, I wonder like how anonymous it is and whether it's not possible to have people basically... Yeah, just give give fake feedback that helps each other out or something like that, right? Basically cheating, um, yeah. Yeah, kind of, but Frankly. in a way like for each other, yeah, in a I don't know, is that solved by anonymity or uh, we think it is in the sense that uh, you know, you're not going to see the names of the people. You're going to see these public keys uh which are this, you know, ash of numbers. And it's true that even in, right now in uh, on the Ethereum, because it's uh, it's a public uh, blockchain, you see all the all the transaction publicly. So if you browse on Etherscan yeah. and you know that this specific address belongs to this person, you can know basically you have access to their bank account, their blockchain account. So you know how much they spend on what and. But especially in science, if you have this such a small world, right? You very quickly get into a situation where it's probably, especially if you have like a small field, fairly easy to figure out who's who, right? Well, yeah, yes and no, in the sense that uh, I still imagine that you, if you have a platform with lots of, you know, cryptographic ashes, I, I wouldn't really know exactly with 100% uh, certainty that this is banned and not someone else working more or less in the field also so but like if the plan is to kind of let's say yeah you and i we say you know what we should we should yeah, make I know, some money I know. with this platform right then i just give you my hash and you give me yeah. yours and then yeah problem solved right like it's it's not yeah i don't know yeah this could be a problem but still um so that's why we wanted to introduce zero knowledge proof and homomorphic, homomorphic encryption in order to have this you know um higher level of security on the on the problem of the ethereum uh, addresses but i also imagine that uh, in terms of scale it's going to be really hard to like even if you and me decide okay let's vote each other it's going to be just one vote against 
many other people. So the system is meant to be resistant to the so-called civil attack, which is this... A what attack? Civil attack. Uh, in computer science, a civil attack is basically when you try to multiply your identities to take profit. Uh, okay, um, yeah. So I just opened several accounts and with different names, and then I would just vote myself, for example. This is a civil ac- <laughs> a- attack. And so this wouldn't be possible uh, in the platform. Already, for example, in our MVP, even if you try, you can't be the reviewer and the author at the same time. So one of our, um, let's say, user, let's say more like... Uh, early uh, UX uh, design, let's say, uh, users uh, try to do that. And it was like, oh, I can't do my review. Of course, because you just uploaded the paper so you can't review it on <laughs> your own because um, basically when you once you put the, the file, it's stored in IPFS and, and the system knows that uh, you are this person and... And you can't do the same thing twice. So from this point of view, uh, that's the good thing of blockchain because it's really, it's the security. And that's the thing why people really are really moving towards it. So it's not just the incentive, but also the security. On the human side, of course, this cannot, I, I always think that even if you have the highest you know, tech, per, most perfect technology, you're always going to find a way to cheat in the system. Yeah, of course. And yeah. This, But the thing is, hmm. it, in this case, it's kind of really useful, though, to do it, right? Because in this case, it's with fairly little effort. You know, us just telling each other what our hashes are and then upvoting each other's reviews. You know, if this becomes a standard thing, then it's quite lucrative i'd imagine um, yes but uh, for, well uh, i don't know it's kind of it's really kind of like a game theory problem and and for example um i don't know if you know uh, there is a nice simulation online made uh, by this developer uh i think it's called uh, they are called the Nick, Nikki. Uh, I need to find it. It's really fun. Basically, you can play with game theory with different characters, and you can be the bad guy or like uh, the cooperative one or the copycat. Basically, someone who copies. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. it's. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the description. I'll, I'll find it. I yeah, have it somewhere. Yeah. Um, I, I cannot type right now, otherwise I would look for the name. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I I have a like in my in the description of the podcast I always have references and links and stuff, so I'll put it there. Okay. And basically when you do the simulation, you play the game, you see that in the long term bad behavior is not promoted. So only in the short term you really have an advantage of uh, being you know the speculator in a sense. Uh, it's always a mix between cooperation and, let's say, uh, more egoistic behavior. And and you can really see that uh, in the long term, it's kind of like more um, profitable to have this, you know, collaborative approach. Um, so, I mean, I, so yes and no. So, I mean, 
whether cooperation or defection pays off really depends on the environment. So if you are, so let's take the example of the iterated prisons dilemma in that game. If you have a population that consists entirely of people who cooperate all the time, mm -hmm. then it pays off maximally to defect every single time because you know the others are going to cooperate every time. Yeah. But for example, if you play against other people who play, for example, tit for tat or win sailors shift, then cooperating pays off more in the long run. Now, the only, I guess the one reason also why I'm interested in blockchain is because, you know, I my work is also about game theory and in blockchain there's a lot about game theory in there. Yeah, because it's mechanism design. Exactly. And that's that's basically what I want to get at now is that in a way where the cooperation or defection is profitable depends on how you set up the system. And I guess my question is whether you can set yours up in a way that allows or that leads to defection not being profitable anymore. Whereas in the very, in the example of the, my father's company thing, or the company my father worked in, it's not his company. In that case, the environment was set up so defection did pay off quite well. So to me, it seems that it really depends on how you set up the thing. Yeah, so I think for that uh, we would need to to do a research aside just to 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 study the effects of uh, of adding this rewarding aspect in the system because just by you know I can have my personal hypothesis about it but uh, I don't know if the data would correspond to reality uh, maybe we would need to run simulations about that. Um, but in general, I think that uh, if we consider the specific environment of scientific research, it's not like we are opening the system to, to everyone. Uh, people care about having good science, right? Because that's the reason they're working for. So I don't, of course, this is pretty much specu uh, you know, speculation, um, speculative, not in that sense, but in the sense... You know, it's just theoretical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, of course, we must consider that uh, these are just marginal cases, the ones that are going to be cheating all the time in order to to lucrate from the system. And even that, uh, I would. Uh, it would be really odd if the community, you know, the other agents in the system don't realize it. So, um, so yeah. I, I can't really, uh, you know, uh, be super certain about that because we, we haven't really started a pilot in which we had uh, actual researchers using the platform, but only few users by themselves. So there was no, it was, the complexity was smaller. But um, I've, I've seen other experiments like that um, for peer reviewing in uh, web through web to let's say platforms without uh, reward uh, monetary reward where the reward was actually you know um, uh, for example having some badge or like uh, some position on the website a sort of uh, impact internal impact factor and my impression was more like that uh, people would try to do as many reviews as possible to increase the quantity and I don't know if this uh, system uh, evaluates the quality, but I think when you put the quality on stake, 
this is an important factor that might, uh, you know, um, disencourage dishonest behavior because uh, unless you have only good friends that vote for each other's perfect reviews or papers, there's always going to be things to be improved, right? And if I am an external researcher and I see, oh, these people are voting this paper, this review, which is really bad, I'm not going to let them do it. So I think there's going to be some network networking effect for which other scientists would gather up and say, nope, this is not is not good and and kind of like what happens on twitter right when you see people posting stuff and other people not agreeing with that i think it would be more or less like this and and also there is another thing that uh, we think it might happen when you shift from this top-down perspective to this bottom-up one is that uh, if you have many people engaged into this process, kind of like, uh, you know, on a Twitter community or like uh, on a GitHub repository where you have, you know, an issue to solve, people maybe will not uh, engage, you know, like uh, all their efforts into one single long review, but maybe the the system itself will uh, uh, promote micro-contributions so people will have, you know, this, uh, let's say, this power of the review where one and two would be dispersed into many people contributed to the work. And I guess also the the perception of the gain would be different. So... Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I never, I always thought of it as the classic, you have two or three reviewers, or I mean, in this case, you can have many reviewers, but only a few of them get, but everyone reviews the entire paper and gets judged according to that but i guess it is also an option that you have really just well let's say i mean obviously it won't work like this but let's say you have a word document and people can make a comment on that right then you can, someone can comment like hey you have a typo here it's as a very stupid example but then people can say like oh yeah you do have a comment you have a you do have a typo there and then they can upvote that that comment for example i guess that almost makes Hmm. almost makes more sense to me than you know taking the old thing of people reviewing the entire paper and just putting that in a blockchain uh, but actually also changing the way that review is actually done um, I guess you'd still need like these big meta commentaries like your overall conclusion doesn't follow from the results or whatever right but I guess it is interesting to actually reconsider how you what what a review even is in that yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's that kind of goes back to the even to the concept behind the the name of Ant's review, um, because it, it evokes this idea of having a colony of ants, um, which is an emergent uh, you know organism um, among all the parts. So in a way, you could see like uh, the final product of the paper as this uh, emergent. Uh, entity that comes from all these micro contributions that could be from your lab could be from the external reviewers but in a sense there are several people working on that also it's interesting for example in uh, the peer review uh, among 
the the recent peer review proposals, there is this one of automatizing the, let's say, the superficial editing of the review uh, with AI, uh, which could take care of, you know, the language aspects, even the statistics, um, so the such that the reviewer could concentrate only on the content, uh, on the science itself. But still, yeah, there is a debate about how review could be changed uh, if we can create a new standard for for doing a peer review. And I think, in the sense, uh, Ant review kind of you know goes in this direction. Uh, of course, for now, um, I don't know if you have had a chance to take a look to the MVP, but uh, we have this traditional, okay. So MVP means what? Uh, minimum viable product. Yeah. yeah, basically we have this, uh, we have our little I mean, application. So this is you need a, a crypto little... wallet in order to operate. I was about it. to say, that's yeah, a slight problem. problem. <laughs> you need a wallet to actually use a thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've I've seen the video, but I haven't. I don't have uh, uh, a crypto wallet. Yeah. I mean, I actually do have one now, but I haven't connected it to my laptop and that kind of stuff. So yeah. Anyway, now it would be a bit expensive, maybe to do the transaction, even just to try. But anyway, you see that uh, for now we have just this simple thing of we upload a document, so it's gonna be like the whole review. But uh, the idea is to evolve towards these micro contributions, maybe, and having more people involved in the process. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's funny once you mentioned the idea of letting some AI do that, that's going to be the next moneymaker, then, isn't it? Mm. Having an AI that finds like every discrepancy in a paper, like statistical discrepancies and all these things, and then you get money for each of the comments. You mean that AI gets the money? What? <laughs> I mean, no, no, no. You like so. If you think like big picture, it. I mean, I don't know how hard this is, but in some cases, at least, it will pay off more to write an algorithm that finds the errors and then almost automatically implements them, rather than to find the errors yourself, right? Because then every time you can just every yeah. paper basically you can let that algorithm run over, and yeah. you can get. But then again, I guess that is a great contribution if you have yeah. something no, I, that I, finds. Yeah, I wouldn't be so scared of it. Actually, I think it would be a lot of, uh, you know, less time wasted because uh, sometimes reviewers yeah. have to waste time just doing the editing of a paper because some paper are just delivered, you know, like really raw drafts. Because again, due to this publish perish culture, people just want to to submit something, even not finished. Once I reviewed a paper that was totally not finished and I really like, I couldn't, sometimes I couldn't understand, like uh, there were parts repeated, you know, it really looked like an early stage work. And yeah, so, but I guess the point, like what's the value of a human researcher that uh, for now a machine can't provide is actually the um, the whole core science in the work, like the scientific hypothesis and uh, the coherence uh, among the argumentations that you're probably, probably one day even <laughs> I don't know GP three will be able to do that. I don't know, but for that we need uh, humans to to do peer reviews. For now, 
Yeah. So one general question I have is about whether whether ants reviews needs to be on a blockchain or not. So I mean again, as I said in the beginning, I have about two weeks of reading about blockchain and these kind of things. And so I think one way of thinking about it is just that it it's a tool, like almost anything else, and a tool has a specific purpose and advantages and disadvantages. I mean, I just looked up like what are some advantages and disadvantages of blockchains, and it wasn't immediately clear why answer you should be done via blockchain and not via a private company that has its internal database. Yeah, do you maybe want to just, I don't know whether you have an answer to that, or I can address specific advantages or disadvantages? Um I mean, in general, uh, if you if you think in terms of uh, security and openness, I think we think that blockchain is the best tool because it guarantees you decentralization. Well, if you have data that, uh, again, it's aggregated in a company, we are creating Facebook again, so or Google. So you you can put all your scientific uh, output there. And Google or Facebook or, okay, let's not mention them, but private company one day just decides to change the terms or... But couldn't you set it up as like, a let's say, a non-profit organization that has, I don't know, like how... You could, I mean, I don't know, set it up that, that it's not like someone can just decide to delete all the data or whatever, right? I don't know. It just seemed to me like it it could be possible to do a lot of what you want to do with answer review mm -hmm. but without i mean so one you know like do we really need the entire distributed network for example to store and verify every single comment and every like and all these kind of things right like it's it's very inefficient in a way it seems to me sometimes that like not yeah i, I think the main problem i had was just with the efficiency of the system mm -hmm. And I under I think I can see how for something like if you want to replace a bank, how that's important. But with peer review, it, I don't know. It wasn't quite. No, I mean of course, but uh, depends what you take in in the in the picture, right? Because if you think of journals, for example, they make billions. <laughs> they make a lot of money from this uh, for being the intermediaries between you know, people providing a service to the scientific community and people receiving it, like citizens and taxpayers. So even if you have some systems that are, you know, totally non-profit, what's the scale of this non-profit? Because there are always going to be some, you know, private, uh, let's say, sources. Even in uh, big non-profits projects, where do you get the money? Like, uh, usually it's either taxes from contributors. And so you have, you can have these big grants, but this we are talking about funding, right? But when it comes to hosting on platforms, uh, I don't know, it doesn't come to my mind a specific, uh, completely public uh, system that uh, it's not uh, corruptible. Maybe CERN has tried something like that. It could be considered like, uh, 
you know, it's uh, made by scientists and it has public funding. But I think whenever you work with uh, private companies and with uh, journals, there's always going to be profit. Otherwise, how can they sustain themselves? Well, but it's uh, one thing. Maybe this is the same thing. I don't know. But it still seems to me to be different. Oh, hmm. I mean, so let's say, for example, a bank, right? You, you, you place money in a bank because you trust them to keep it and that if you want to transfer it to someone else, they can guarantee that it happens and that the other person gets the money. But to me, I don't know, a, a journal makes its money mostly off, I mean, mostly of unpaid labor, but um, mostly off its reputation. I wonder whether that's the same thing as the trust we hold in a bank. I mean, journals right now make most of their money because the journals are not open access. I mean, the articles are not open access. So to access them, you need to pay. And even more, if you want to publish them open access, you have to pay much more now. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the people who are producing the science are not getting any money. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand... Um, and I completely agree that it makes no sense for Elsevier to earn that much money f- from what they do. It's just somehow it seems to me that, like for example, you mentioned security as an advantage for of blockchain. Mm-hmm. But what exactly is the fear here? Like that someone would hack into Elsevier and write new reviews for papers? Some people have already done that, not specifically to Elsevier, but uh, yeah, I don't want to name a specific journal, but I have read actually that uh, both these, um, you know, conference uh, systems that are used uh, mostly for computer science, like EasyChair, you know, it's like you upload your paper and then... They have no, not easy chair specifically, but in general, they are very vulnerable. Uh, but also journals, like uh, they don't really check the identity of people. Like you could have a fake email, and and enter the system as as a reviewer of your own paper. This has already happened. Of course, it's not like on a huge scale. So in this sense, yeah, the security wouldn't be the biggest threat because threat because it's not like we are talking about sensible data, right? Yeah, you're not. Yeah, you're talking about peer review, not we the are, data. So we are yeah. talking about the scientific output, but still there is this thing. I don't know. Let's imagine an hypothetical scenario where. I don't know, the companies the behind the journal fails or did they just decide to take off all the articles and you have no access anymore to, to the science like, or to the reviews or there is always this limit, this, you know, um, this vulnerability that, okay, we don't maybe see much in um, right now in academic publishing Although actually most of the researchers that I know, and especially in third world countries, have been massively relying on Sci-Hub for accessing science. So (laughs) this might mean something if you really need a pirate uh, system to, to read paper. So why is that? If the system was 
perfectly optimized right now, we wouldn't need to leverage on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the way it's run right now is the optimal way. I was just. Um, yeah, but that, that's. Do you see what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, like I understood not... your point, but it also goes back to. So that's the thing. Um, the for example, the Moth of blockchain is trust. Uh, don't trust verify. And I think the this Moth is really scientific in its core. It's basically. On yeah. the basis of science, actually, if you think about it, the motto of the, of the Royal Society was uh, nullius in verba. Like, uh, okay. um, basically, you shouldn't take for granted uh, anything from other people's words without, you know, verifying. And, and every time you have intermediaries in a system, you're basically giving your trust to them and and they are powerful because basically whatever they do you have no control basically you outsource your you know your value to someone who's going to be the custodian of this so that's the main the main motivation probably for which for which people are um, moving towards blockchain. Of course, maybe it's more evident when you are talking about banks, especially for countries where, you know, there is a lot of inflation and money is unstable. This is super evident when when the politics interferes with the, with the economics and the, a bank uh, basically system collapses, you, you lose the money. is like, you know, all the value goes down. And and if you translate this same problem to, I don't know, science, it could basically be the same. Like from one day to the other it could happen. Actually, that's kind of what happened so far. Like some publishing companies basically prohibited access to some universities because they were, you know, not agreeing with the system of uh, paying high fees or not not to talk about all the cases on court for example you, you must know about Aaron Schwartz um, who is um, this yes. pioneer of open access and also um, he worked on lots of projects and he, he committed so is he the guy who uploaded lots of papers and then yeah committed suicide yeah, okay. yeah. and he was uh, charged of I think 35 years of prison and I don't know how many millions to pay and and the papers were already out of copyright since many years because they were very old and they came from the ac yeah. an academic service uh, you know um, internal system so it's not that he hacked the the system somehow it was like you know I have access to this university I'm taking the papers and putting somewhere else so this is kind of weird. It's kind of creepy, actually. Like the power that. Yeah. No. I mean, again, I'm not. I'm not um, trying to defend the way that journals make profit. I think my my question is maybe more towards, because you're not suggesting really. I mean, you said maybe this could be linked to a journal or whatever, right? But right now it's just about peer review and the peer review is i mean there's lot, lots that can be improved there mm -hmm. you said the speed especially but most of the things you just mentioned 
it doesn't seem to me that that's something you're trying to solve with ants, though, right? Like you're not, you're, it's it's part of the same ecosystem that tries to change how we um, communicate science and findings. But it doesn't seem to me that, or or are you saying because you have to upload your manuscript into ants for people to be able to review it, that guarantees that papers can always be read? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of uh, interconnected in the sense that uh, the value that the journal, you were talking about the prestige, right? But who is giving the prestige to a journal is the fact that it gathers, probably a specific journal gathers, you know, the best researchers in the field and also provides the best peer reviews. I think if you if you look to high impact factor journals, they're not gonna give you like sloppy reviews. They they're gonna have many checks. Um, yeah. I don't know. I didn't have a specific experience about that, but uh, the whole value it's around the validation. It's kind of like the peer review is. I thought. Do you really think that? I always thought yeah. that it was more that the for some reason, whatever it might be. Um, some journal gets a reputation and then more people submit good papers. I mean, like the, an example would be like, I feel like um, if I were to be editor-in-chief of Nature mm-hmm. uh, or in responsible of the physics section or whatever, like something I don't understand anything about and I just picked articles at random, they'd, pro- they'd probably be pretty good. <laughs> like it, the, the quality of the articles published would probably still be pretty good just because people submit their best work there. Um, I'm not saying that they don't add good peer review, but I feel like it, they're there. It's more like you just have, for whatever reason, this reputation and based yeah. on that, people send different quality work to journals. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's wrong. No, no, the, the, there is totally this aspect, but uh, we also agree that uh, a paper that is not peer reviewed doesn't have the same value. So you can have any potential nature around there, and if it's still on bioarchive, people are not going to notice it as much as when it's on nature. Yeah, it gets like a final stamp. So the peer review is really this validation that it's kind of correspond to the blockchain validation of a block like until a block is not validated uh, people you know there is no this um, consensus of the community that this is the valid track so you can have multiple chains but only the one that is validated by the community is the one that is going to have valuable transactions and if you transfer this metaphor also in the scientific field, I think it's kind of like that. Um, COVID probably changed a bit the scenario because there was this uh, necessity yeah. of having papers and scientific outputs faster. So people started relying on preprints. But normally uh, preprints have an internal value like people retweet them, comment them, but until they have this final stamp of it's peer-reviewed, accepted by a journal, is not the same thing. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I never, I mean, I, I have been aware that people's attitudes to preprints have changed during COVID, but it's, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I spent, uh, we did a paper on COVID, um, and, oh, it's a preprint still. It would be a paper already if I finished it. <laughs> right now it's still a preprint. Um, uh, yeah, and that, like, because it's on, like, risk perception about getting COVID and that kind of stuff, it got cited, like, 40 times since it appeared last year, and it's still a preprint, right? It's still, like, a four-page preprint, and people somehow, um, I don't know, trust it more? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it is this weird thing where in any other any other preprint, not any other, um, but, like, most... I feel like any other preprint I will, I, let's say I'd write, it's not, it's not going to get 40 citations in a year. Um, just, yeah, partly based on what you said, like people. I mean, I, I also totally agree with you that there is also a sort of filter pre-selection due to the prestige of the journal. But we created that. It's not that it was already pre-existing in the Imperuranium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the thing. What makes science is the fact that I do something and someone else checks it for me and validates if it's correct or not, right? Otherwise, I could do science by myself and and I would be super dogmatic about it because, you know. But if you think the process could be decoupled from a journal, like you don't necessarily need to have the whole apparatus of these uh, publishing companies to have this sort of validation that you need in research. So, well, that's what my reason is mostly about. And if you think of that, and if you keep think of removing this medium, blockchain is the only system that allows you to have this decentralization that I know, like, per se, it's like, every time you put something in between, it's gonna, be an aggregator of of power let's say so yeah that's kind of like the, okay i'm bullish about it also because i i did my project <laughs> on that so i need to be convinced about my own ideas otherwise <laughs> yeah um, no i mean the thing is like i'm not um I like. I mean, I'm still very. I have no idea whether this would work, whether it would not work. It's. It sounds interesting to me. I like the general approach. Um, it sounds cool, but I just, like, you know, that's part of why I want to talk to you about this. I just don't know a lot of this stuff, and yeah, I think I guess I've also never really thought about what exactly the value of a like where does the value of a specific paper come from. Does it come through the fact that it's peer reviewed? Does it come through the journal? Does, yeah, I don't know. I've never really taken it apart in that sense. Yeah, I don't know. I, I see that there are papers that are published in, you know, journals that don't have this high impact factor, but still they have a lot of citations. Uh, so the impact factor of the paper is not necessary, doesn't correlate with the impact factor of the journal. Well, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah. Actually, it's funny because I had also this discussion with the founder of SciHub. I had the chance to to be part of an interview, kind of or chat. Um, okay. About uh, with Alexandra uh, Bakin, and I was really asking her about blockchain. Like, why don't you use blockchain? Uh, because 
yeah she actually uses uh, bitcoin for uh, partially for getting you know funding right so why not using blockchain also for for the whole system of papers and well she didn't seem super convinced and she was like um well this interview is online anyway you can check it but what is it Sorry, um, just, uh, so i can some flow i will send you the link it's some flow uh, it was last uh, September. Basically, uh, SciHub is it's itself a centralized system, right? Yeah. But it's pirating it's just, another uh... centralized system. So the thing is that SciHub can exist until all these big publishing companies exist. One day when all the open access... Uh, will be possible then there is no point on stealing papers and putting on the on this uh yeah, library exactly. um but at the same time there is this problem of the value because if you think about it i mean i really am a big fan of uh, sci-hub and uh, alexandra's work but um i think it solves one problem in the sense that uh, it solves the problem of the accessibility for you know researchers and citizens you know the people who are going to benefit from the service of scientific production but uh, still the people who produce science don't get anything from that basically because yeah yeah so that's why uh, if you have uh, a blockchain system that also rewards the people who produce those outputs then you can have a fair system in which you don't need to steal uh from people who already stolen have stolen from you but <laughs> everyone could you know pretty much benefit from the service and the consumption of and the, the work put into it right yeah it's it's something funny because something is already happening in the arts world in the artistic scenario like i don't know if you have have uh heard about nft non-fungible tokens i've heard about it i don't really know whether it's whether it makes sense or not i don't know yeah well maybe now there is a bit of a speculative bubble as well uh but uh, in theory this the i think that uh, the problem that we have in science is the same that artists have because they make art and then the ones that make the money are actually the you know the ones that produce your work and communicate your work so even if you just put your music or your artwork on you know youtube and so on spotify they are the ones making the money not you you get a little tiny bit of profit from all the visualizations and so on and and you don't own your content completely yeah but yeah i mean i saw that today you or not today you tweeted but i saw you you retweeted recently something about people suggesting that papers or whatever should also be nfts yeah and, this is uh, or whether it is you also pointed you also posted a counterpoint and, yeah yeah i was i'm not super sure about uh that in the sense of bidding like in 
in an auction like it happens with art because this is really advantageous if you have an auction a decentralized auction on the blockchain then you can buy art you know i can buy your art and we don't have this intermediary that is making money out of this um but uh, yeah I, I wouldn't i wouldn't push it too much for <laughs> for for you know bidding on scientific work uh, scientific papers though i would i find it interesting okay let's see what happens if you put a paper on sft yeah i still have i haven't looked into that yet as i said i'm two weeks into learning about blockchain and i've said nfts is let me first figure out exactly what ethereum does and then we'll get to it's very new actually this is really like uh i mean basically i also had uh, two weeks of knowledge before i started and then every two weeks every month there was something completely new coming coming up and it's really difficult to catch up with all the yeah yeah it's very fast and uh it's also very technical uh, anyway, um, so I just want to, as a last thing, just talk about like the the future of ants and what you want to do. I mean, it seems obvious that in a few years there's going to be no journals. <laughs> it's just going to be ants. No, it's uh, not. It's just going to be ants. <laughs> it's not and, obvious at all. <laughs> it's going to be the one system to rule them all. Uh, but until then, yeah, I mean, like, what do you plan as next steps, and maybe also as part of that answer. Um, how do you intend on tackling like the technical adoption difficulties? For example, I, I actually have a crypto wallet, but I haven't been able to check your thing uh, because it's not linked to my laptop. So I don't, to my work laptop. So I couldn't check it earlier. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I mean, I know that the whole crypto stuff is changing fairly rapidly, but I'm still, I've only had one person other than you who seems to know anything about the topic at all. Um, everyone I know has basically just, yeah, it's not a topic I'd really talked about to anyone right now. And mm -hmm. I guess I talk mainly to researchers. So how, yeah, if, if this has to, be, to become uh, usable, how do we make that happen? Yeah, so um, actually a big part of the time that... Um, I invested during the fellowship at Kernel was actually, you know, looking back at the design and doing some research on the design. So basically user tests and just some very preliminary surveys with researchers that I launched on Twitter and LinkedIn to gather some ideas also about uh, the difficulties on you know approaching the technology and of course we are aware of this barrier because if you don't consider even actually even among crypto researchers or blockchain researchers it's not that everyone is familiar with the centralized applications and how to use a crypto wallet to do certain transactions because it's not so, it's simply not something that you do it's not as easy as the web too, that is just clickable and, you know, they just take all your data, they do everything for you and you don't have anything <laughs> to care about. Here, you know that uh, you're responsible because there is no third party that is going to take responsibility if something ha bad happens. So everything is done more carefully. So that's why actually uh, after I put the project on pause 
to refocusing more on my PhD. The idea now is to uh, also my collaborator has other projects, so he's the uh, smart contract uh, developer. So we decided to focus on community, on building community. Um, so basically, trying to do as much dissemination of this protocol as possible, and specifically in the academic community. Because uh, in the blockchain community, I we kind of seen that uh, people are really welcoming the idea. We also launched a sort of mini grant on the on Gitcoin, and we raised some money from which we paid the fees for the publication, for example, of the paper, and uh, money in crypto, obviously in uh, Ether and uh, Dai, and and it's. Fun how you know the community is enthusiastically you know contributing to the project, although they are not concerned in the first place because most of them are not academic researchers, so they like uh, the idea. Also, the academic researchers like the idea, but again, they don't know how to, how to. So yeah. that's why I think the having the paper uh, published, peer-reviewed, and published on a journal. Or actually, in a book, as a book chapter, was a big in the traditional way. In a traditional way, France. was a, a, an important milestone to kind of bridge these two worlds. Because now I see, for example, editors are reading the article. Uh, I also had the chance to talk with other laboratories that do research in blockchain in other countries, and so I think the paper is gathering some interest. Of course, it has been published just not even one month ago. So before there was one print online. Yeah, the preprint out. Yeah, like right. roughly two months before there was already the preprint. And before it was just, you know, I actually managed to release the preprint in uh, mid for end of January, let's say. So it was not Okay, out I thought it was before that. For a long time. And so before it was really much about uh, the conference that we held in uh, Poland. Well, it was an online conference uh, among academics in computer science. So again, people who are, you know, competent on the topic. And so now I'm trying to reach out a bigger public. So through Twitter and also through the participation on uh, another workshop that is going to be held in May that it's called uh, Cool Tool for Science, uh, hosted by the Champalimont uh, Institute in, in, um, in Portugal, uh, Lisboa. Basically, we are trying to, to gather some attention on the work and some discussion about it. And yeah, basically kind of low profile, but keeping the attention on every once in a while. And also looking for funding very, you know, discreetly uh, because... What would the funding be used for? Yeah, so basically we are now two people, mainly the founders of the project. And during the fellowship, we had also some contributors, uh, especially for the front-end uh, development of, the, of this application. But we don't have like uh, a bigger team that is, you know... Formed, so we would like to to have more people on board, and and if we had a grant, also we, you know, we could pay for 
expenses like uh, article publications and people working with us and so on it's but it's mainly salary then you, i guess you don't need an infrastructure that much if it's distributed right That's uh, kind of the whole point, no no or? no we don't need uh, no we don't have uh, so the idea was not like to create a, a startup you know it's really like the idea is to have yeah, a yeah. non-profit uh, project but uh, also something that is really you know inserted in the in academia so for now we are looking mostly for grants maybe collaboration with laboratories both from private institutions but also universities yeah so also because we have uh, many ideas but uh, the implementations are not uh, necessarily you know like uh, at hand some of the things that you wanted to implement are still being built by other companies so there are certain aspects that uh, will require some time and and of course, with uh, <laughs> with with funding, it's easier to to carry on a project. It's it's open source, so and it's also not our main project right now. It's a side project, but uh, if we had more resources, it could become a main project. I don't know. Cool. Well, let's. Oh, I'm looking. I'm, I'm gonna follow what what happens with ants. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's see how it goes. It's funny, like, I can't remember, like, when I asked you whether you wanted to do the interview, like, maybe three weeks ago or something. Yeah. And um, it was mainly because I thought, like, okay, Bianca's doing something interesting here about, like, peer review and I'm not, and uh, I have, like, a bit of, like, meta science stuff on the podcast also. So they're like, okay, it would fit well. I can also chat to Bianca again. Like, oh, let's see maybe what, what this is about. Like, I don't really know anything about this, right? And... Then basically through this project, I've started looking into blockchain. Oh, that's this whole cool! Thing. I'm happy. <laughs> like it was, it was literally, it was literally like you. I asked, I, I saw that you had this thing going on, and thought this sounds kind of interesting. And then I think at around the same time, Lex Friedman on his podcast had yeah. lots of guests who were talking about this kind of stuff, right? And basically, and, and so then I listened to those. I thought like, well, I'll just listen to those as kind of like background. Yeah. for our conversation so i know a little bit about it and then at some point i started realizing that this is not just about bitcoin and money yeah which i always thought is what it was and that it's much much more than that and i spent like the last 10 days pretty much just reading about it and it's really fascinating um, that, that's exactly so, yeah. what happened for me actually <laughs> you, you introduced a completely new world to me there I'm not sure whether I'm grateful yet for it or I'm just wasting a lot of time. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Who knows? Yeah. Maybe your initial onboarding to the blockchain world or to the space, as they say, will lead yeah. to something else. Yeah, maybe. I mean, as I said, like I'm, some of my research is about game theory, so I'm very interested. That's kind of the angle from, through which I'm cool. looking at it. Um, and. But yeah, so I'll definitely be, I don't know, checking out what Maybe you're doing Maybe if you there. want to contribute as well, <laughs> collaborate how? at some point. So Bianca, how? Let's not me necessarily specifically, but like in general, if people want to contribute, like other than giving you lots of money. No, no. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a PhD student also, that's not 
No, <laughs> no. Actually, contribute. this is interesting because uh, the way we raise the money, it's through the, uh, Gitcoin, which is uh, using this uh, new system that might interest you very much because it's related to a new experiment for... Uh, you know, um, basically uh, distributing resources uh, in society, which is called quadratic funding, which was developed by um, within the radical exchange project and association, let's say, was developed by a um, researcher in Microsoft and in political science. And basically the idea is for both quadratic voting and quadratic funding, that uh, to have a non-linear system of uh, of redistributing resources in the sense that uh, is the the amount of people engaged into a specific uh, project that counts and not how much money or votes you put in it right so for example in uh, gitcoin every once in a while there are these rounds for uh, uh, raising money for specific grants and we also have our interview grant and the cool thing is that the system works like this basically uh, 1000 people that put one dollar let's say can have a bigger impact than one single person that puts one thousand dollars okay because basically uh, that's there is a mathematical equation that I'm not gonna go through now but basically, uh, the system is going to give payoff for the, um, the more, uh, I mean, the more amount of smaller contributions. So basically, it's measuring the, the impact and the interest that uh, a specific, uh, you know, project has on the, on the community rather than uh, favoring you know, people who have uh, a lot of resources. And so, in this sense, if you want to contribute, you don't need to be rich. You can just put $1 uh, and this will make a difference to answer you. <laughs> okay, cool. And in, in, can people, I mean, you said like it's two people right now. Yeah. Let's say, can people, I don't know, start programming in, what's it called again? What is Ethereum using again? Uh, Solidity. Solidity, yeah. Is do you need like people on that front also, or is it? Well, uh, depends in the sense that uh, right now we don't really need to. Um, we're not. We don't have in plan to start uh, programming new stuff. My collaborator basically is a backend developer, so actually we were looking for a front-end developer, so someone who uses Rinkeby, React, uh, and so on. We don't have any position open, you know, because we don't have money. <laughs> yeah, so it would be free work in that sense. So any kind of collaboration, I think it's uh, welcome on my side, especially for the research aspects, because I, I really want to, I think it's really important first to have clear ideas about the design before proceeding on the next step of, you know, product development. So um, I think now we are in this phase after we produced the, uh, this uh, pr first the proof of concept then the mvp we need to rethink the design a bit so i think we are more looking for discussions on the mechanism design how to how to improve it how to 
you know, implement this token engineering part because you don't want to build something and then it's totally unfunctional or people don't want to use it. So now we are yeah, yeah. in this contemplative state of uh, let's see what the community wants, what researchers want and yeah, what is yeah. possible doing and so on. And of course we have our Telegram channel. Oh, I don't have Telegram. I have Signal. Most people in this uh, in tech uh, companies and these uh, communities and in blockchain they have uh, they use Telegram and Discord. Really? Uh, so I still don't know what Discord is. It's kind of like Slack. It's very similar to Slack. I never use Slack. You never use Slack. <laughs> I, I talk and I use email. That's pretty much oh all I Oh, my God. <laughs> no, it's much better to have uh, this. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, so pretty much we we use as communication channels Twitter and Telegram. And we have our Substack newsletter uh, where you're free to subscribe <laughs> welcome to subscribe we haven't updated much recently because there are no big um, well the big novelties we're trying to gather the big novelties and put in one specific newsletter so stay tuned on our twitter account and review that hopefully you will put <laughs> in the as a link i don't know how it works in the podcast yeah yeah, yeah i'll put it in the description and and that's it, I guess. Uh, you had another question, right? Or something I didn't answer? Uh, actually, you uh, had this question. Yeah, this I wanted to correct you because you were saying something about the crypto okay. wallet and the fact of having some, you know, cryptographic knowledge or something. Actually, the fun thing of, of this, uh, of the space is that, okay, there are a lot of expert people working on the on the structure of these applications but both users but also people who develop uh, applications they don't need to to know about cryptography to do stuff on the blockchain like it's super easy to use uh, crypto wallets you just subscribe and you you buy some crypto and you start using it's kind of like you know subscribing to facebook yeah no i mean uh, i'm I guess my point is more that if I guess it's more gen a generic point about technology or if you want someone to make a change, basically right now, I feel like with most scientists, and I would really say it's at least like the people I talk to is pretty much everyone, you have to first explain what a wallet is, a crypto wallet. Of course, and yeah. Basically, you have to first Fact. teach them the basics and then only then can they in start In fact, adopting, I wanted to put right? it in the paper. But people are like, come on, everyone, it, this is obvious. And I was like, no, this is not obvious. This for me was the most difficult part. I was super scared when I had this crypto wallet. I was like, he's going to suck all my money. You know, I, I was afraid yeah, exactly. of doing anything. <laughs> no, I no, I totally agree. That's why, um, okay, maybe this is something unanswered for the next step. Because this is just a conference paper, the one that we published. But it's on the plan to expand it to a bigger paper and maybe go through some technicalities that might be obvious for people in the blockchain, but not for people in academia. Yeah. 
because I mean, yeah, the, the, the point is also like, I feel like if I were to suggest this to any PI to use ANS, they'd say like, what? I have to learn blockchain. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I know, I know. because of that, like, it's, it's basically like your, uh, it's just, it's just like a step in between, right? I know, I know. Yeah. 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 That, right. So now I know like using a crypto wallet is super easy once you know roughly what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it's not that complicated, but I mean, let's put it this way. Like I've been doing this for like, you know, I've been reading about this for like 10 days or something and I still feel like I have a lot of reading to do. Yeah. No, no, I totally feel you. And actually yeah. that's, that's what I wanted. Uh, when I, when I started this point, I just wanted to, to say that the, I think this uh, environment is really cool because lots of developers are putting a lot of efforts in making decentralized applications that are really easy for people who are not yeah. in from this field. So basically, everything that happens in between is not uh, visible. You know, you just uh, yeah, yeah. you just know how to use uh, the gadgets and the wallets and everything, but you don't need to have coding skills or deep yeah, yeah. mathematical knowledge to, which is kind of the same for us nowadays with the machine learning, like. Uh, when we use it in uh, in research, right? Uh, we we use the algorithms, but we don't build the algorithm. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And we have, but two I boxes. feel like it's still yeah, it's just still new enough that I don't think most people. Will. Yeah, it's funny that you said like everyone said it's obvious. Um, I, I it wasn't to me as a reader. No, also, like one I one conclusion yeah. I had reading it was kind of like, okay, I think I kind of see what you're trying to do, mm. uh, and I kind of see how your solution might be good. I just have no way of verifying of whether anything you're saying makes any sense. Yeah, like I don't understand any of the details here. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, well, this is also because the the well the paper itself was for a very specific public of. Uh, computer scientists and also we had limited uh, pages so we had to really to stay within 12 pages and we had so much to say we had to cut many parts that uh, we we hope to include in a bigger paper so but uh, yeah i think a good point is to have maybe some mini tutorials that not only explain the concept but also how to use the tools that are you know prerequisites in a... that's why i found your video very useful because i have to admit like when i read the paper so i first read the paper and wrote down some questions and one of my questions or almost criticism was like my assumption was that you have to start coding to use ants because you said like we use this function or something like oh, that okay. i was like Oh wait! You want people to program how to to do peer review? Like that's people are not going to do that. And then I saw the video. So like, oh, there is a GUI. Okay, I can see why people how like it seemed much simpler once I saw the video. Yeah. Rather than just reading the paper. Yeah. But then again, as you said, I'm probably not the target audience for that paper really. Yeah, the functions are supposed to be invisible in the process. Yeah, yeah. But when I read it, I thought like, okay. This is, looks really complicated just to submit a paper or something. <laughs> but it's it's super simple when you watch the video. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, thanks for your feedback. Yeah. It's 
It's another person <laughs> other than me that thinks that crypto wallets are complicated when you don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the whole... Uh, the I think Stephen Pinker called it the curse of knowledge, or maybe he was citing someone else, right? What? It's impossible to... Stephen Pinker? Uh, Stephen Pinker, he has this book called Sense of Style, I think, um, about writing. And there he says like a lot of academic writing in particular is very bad because people can't imagine the stuff they don't know. Like they can't imagine not knowing what they know. So that's the way. Or rather, it's not even that that's writing is bad. It's more it uses a lot of jargon because people assume everyone knows everything. And yeah. it seems to me, I'm not saying your paper is bad or anything, but for me, it wasn't. It, and lots of points were very readable, of course, but like a lot of the technical stuff, I just had like no idea what most of this means. Um, and it's probably just because, as you said, everyone else said, it's obvious. Everyone knows how this works. Yeah. Because they probably can't imagine that most, even most computational neuroscientists don't spend most of the time doing computer science. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's the same if you talk to computer scientists about things that we do in computational neuroscience. Yeah, it's just anything, right? It's very niche.